Today's read, Midnight, a gangster love story by Sister Soldier. Chapter 13, Girls, Guns, and Friends. Guns and girls, I keep them separate. Amir showed up to the dojo Monday night with Redbone on his arm. Me and Chris was looking at him sideways because as a rule, we didn't bring spectators during our training. Even though every now and then, there were times when I had no choice but to bring my little sister Naja, I thought, or I should say me and Chris thought, Amir's move was a mistake. First off, since he turned 12, Amir been girl crazy. Me and Chris watched him act like he had fallen in forever love with about 18 different females. The girls were all crazy about him too. So it was cool, but we knew from experience that he shouldn't bring girls who we knew he was going to break up with to any of our permanent hangouts. He already had a female named Sophia turn stalker on his ass. Shit with her got so serious, even Sensei had to step in. Over the years, when any one of the three of us did anything wrong, we all got the pressure from Sensei at the same as if we all had done the wrong thing together. Sensei told us in private that it wasn't enough for us to master the fighting technique. We had to master our desires for women before the women master you. I looked at Amir all wrapped up with Redbone. Long weekend, I joked. Me and Chris both laughed. Our training takes a lot of concentration. Out on the floor, we stretched and worked on katas and rollouts. Later, we sparred at Sensei's demand. He kept the fighting scenarios flipping like a quarterback calling out complicated plays. He never allowed us to get used to one sparring partner. I would be out on the floor sparring one opponent. Next thing I knew, I was surrounded by three more attackers. For half an hour, I would be in the defending position. The next half hour, I would be one of the attackers. Some of the fighters and students in our dojo were our age. Others were full-grown men. The challenge kept my blood pumping. Through it all, I kept feeling Redbone's eyes moving on me. I wanted to believe I had her wrong, but I knew I had her right. Toward the end of the session, me and Chris sparred each other, while Amir and a next student sparred also. When our class finished up, I pulled Amir and Chris to the side. You got my piece? I asked Amir. Nah, but we can go pick it up now, he answered. Nah, bring it here Wednesday night when you come. But don't bring her, I told them. She's cool, Amir said nonchalantly about Redbone. Yeah, she's cool at any place except the dojo, right? I asked, but it wasn't really a question. She wants to get your phone number anyway, Amir stated casually. What? Chris jumped in before I could even make sense out of what Amir was asking me. Then Amir started laughing. Don't be stupid. She wants your telephone number so she can give it to Homegirl from the other night. The three of them are used to doing everything together anyway. Homegirl got a thing for you, for real. She asked me for your number so many times yesterday, I almost fucked around and gave it to her. I stopped myself when I thought about how you be running your life like you some kind of secret agent. 
nobody can come to your house or call your crib at certain times and all that bullshit. Him and Chris laughed. Homegirl is kind of cute, Chris said. She got a pretty face and a tight little waist. And thick thighs, Amir added. I was going to take her at first, but there's something so sexy about Redbone. She had them other two beat hands down, Amir joked and bragged. If I wanted her to know my phone number, I'd have gave it to her that same night. Just bring my shit here on Wednesday. You didn't leave it at her house, did you? I asked, growing tight about Amir not being on point when all it takes is one little fuck up. Come on, man. Stop trying to play me. Amir answered, getting vexed. Chris jumped in to cut up the unusual tension. He always had a way of calming things down whenever he thought it was necessary. Look, you ain't gotta be serious with this girl. Just hang out with her while me and Amir keep the other two busy. That's how these girls want it, three on three. Make it easy on us, he smiled, trying to get me to lighten up. I looked at both of them, considering the way they was begging me to get with some girl. All of a sudden, Amir's facial expression changed. He busted out laughing a complete switch in his mood. I got you, nigga. You already got a girl. That's what's up, Amir called it out. You got a girl for the first time, and now she got you open. You just ain't saying shit about her. So now you don't want to fuck with homegirl. I should have figured it out before. That is the type of brother you are. He laughed some more. There was a short pause before he offered more of his take on the situation. That's how you do it, man? One at a time, huh? Amir leaned in and teased while Redbone, who we'd told to stay over there, was slowly creeping in closer and closer to the area where we were standing. Well, let me tell you something Amir said to me. You got two eyes, two ears, two hands, two legs, two feet, ten motherfucking fingers, and ten motherfucking toes. Now Chris was relieved too and laughing again. I never answered Amir or Chris. My smile at Amir's words just cut through naturally. See you Wednesday night, I told them. Realistically, I didn't consider Akimi my girl. But in between the hundreds of things I had to do, I found her popping up in my thoughts and remaining there. I planned to see her at the end of the week again when I went back to my weekend job I chose on Friday. But now my thoughts of her were turning into an unfamiliar craving. I was feeling like a week was too long. On Wednesday, I made two Manhattan Uma Designs deliveries. So, afterward, I decided to stop by Akimi's family's shop and check her. I wasn't sure if she even worked on Wednesdays, but I was about to find out. I wanted a chance to see what was up with her family. I got curious why her cousin and said for me not to show up there at their family store. I found myself catching feelings for Akimi. I had to be sure she wasn't trying to diss me by keeping me away from her relatives, her job, and her home. As I came up the subway steps onto the sidewalk in Chinatown, I joined the heavy New York crowds of walkers. One block down, as I turned the corner, I saw Akimi walking in a crowd headed in my direction. It was a gray day. She was wearing a designer scarf on her head with the rest of her long hair falling onto her back. 
The pretty pastel colors made her glow. She had on a cobalt blue patent leather trench style jacket today. It was close fitting, hugged her shoulders and laid across her breasts with a belt drawn tight against her small waist. Jeans and another new pair of Nikes with dark blue soles helped her to step lively through the dirty New York streets. She didn't see me approaching and seemed lost somewhere in her own thoughts. I wondered, if I walked right past her, would she notice? Tucked underneath her arm, secured in her pit, was a large portfolio. In her other hand was a small purse. It matched her jacket and dangled from her fingers on a short handle. Within seconds, I walked right by her in an uneven crowd of nine or so people who just happened to be moving in my same direction. I didn't look back. Three seconds later, she grabbed my wrist. When I turned, she had a penetrating look and a warm, welcoming smile on her face. She pointed to her watch. She gave me the come on sign with her hand. I didn't know where she was going, yet I followed. Back down in the subway, we were on the downtown platform waiting for the trains headed to Brooklyn. This worked out for me. I had almost two hours left before I needed to be at the dojo. As the train jerked, she loosened up her jacket and pointed to her t-shirt. It had the words Pratt Institute written across it in bold letters. I didn't know where or what that was. I knew enough to know she was trying to say that's where she was going. Staring into her dark eyes, I thought about how I had to teach my mother English word by word. It's been years now and Uma can listen and understand more English than she can actually speak. She still only speaks a few words and sentences in English. I thought to myself that Akimi could probably learn the English language faster than my mother because my mother didn't really care for English. Akimi seemed eager to learn. She definitely was not allowing not knowing the English language to keep her from learning how to travel around the city and go exploring. I touched her hands. Now her fingernails were painted all of the pastel colors of her scarf. She looked me in my eyes. I said, hand. I held up my hand and repeated the word hand one more time. She caught on easily, smiled and said, hand. For the rest of the ride, we learned each other this way. Me touching her hand, fingers, arm, hair, ears, eyes, nose, and even lips, then reaching then teaching her the right words to repeat and remember. She would touch me back and recite the right words out loud. I don't know if she was really learning English, but I knew we were learning each other. We got off in downtown Brooklyn. It was crazy how in the winter you could go down in the subway in the light of day and in less than a half an hour walk up into the dark of night. We ended up over on Willoughby Avenue at Pratt Institute. There was a bunch of people there, all in a hurry. They were young, but seemed older than both me and Akimi. I noticed a lot of females dressed in varying styles. It seemed like they'd made up themselves. Some of that shit worked, and some of it looked a fucking mess. As she led her way to her classroom, I stopped right outside the door. She grabbed my hand and pulled it toward herself as if to say, come in. I didn't come. I pulled back and said, sayonara. 
the word she used the other night in Queens to separate herself from me. She reached out for my hand again and bowed to me. Her head was down. Then she lifted her eyes up and fixed them on my face. To see her bow to me gave me a cozy, heated feeling. I followed her in, knowing I could only stay for a little while. On one side of the huge class, there were chairs with desks attached to them like a, and a blackboard. On the other side were a bunch of easels, paints, brushes, and pencils, and papers of various sizes and types. I sat at the desk next to hers. At six o'clock sharp, a young woman walked with the authority of a teacher, entered, and stood at the front of the class. She talked to some. I wasn't really listening to her. Instead, I was inside my head thinking about how I could go to a school like this with grown-up people who minded their business and just showed up to learn. I liked the way the class was taking place in the evening and people seemed like they came because they wanted to. People seemed like they came because they wanted to and not because they were being forced. I noticed her moving toward me, this slim white woman with brown hair, the teacher, are you our model for today she asked i know i've seen your face before she said focusing everyone's attention on me i didn't know what she was talking about or what she even wanted wanted i'm just here for a minute i'm a friend of akimi's matter of fact i'm about to leave right now i stood up akimi stood up the teacher faced akimi it's okay, Akimi. I understand. He's a friend of yours. We won't undress him then. The class laughed. Akimi did not. But I'm sure I've seen that face before. It's a fantastic face, not to mention your body. You should consider modeling. The teacher reached out to touch my chin. Akimi stepped in between the teacher's hand and myself. Everybody in the classroom knew what that meant. Some of the students laughed. One of the males said, and the teacher moved on. A female rushed through the door out of breath. I'm your model for today, she proclaimed. The teacher looked at her watch and said, for $25 an hour, you should be on time. Sorry, the girl apologized, went to the other side of the room and climbed onto the table. The teacher clapped her hands together and said, all right, people, let's set up. The students all got out of their chairs slowly and into their smocks. Akimi lagged behind a, a bit. I guess she needed to follow what the other students were doing since she couldn't understand her teacher's English words. Glad that the attention was now off me, I turned to leave. I looked at Akimi who was standing in front of a cubby putting on her smock. I pointed at the clock on the wall to signal and let her know I had to go. As I started to walk out, the girl model who had rushed in late, standing now on the table, casually pulled off her sweater and revealed her flesh, her neck and shoulders, her bare titties that went from white to pale pink, to pink, only to be topped off with purple nipples. What a creation, shaped so exquisitely. My eyes then rolled down between her breasts and onto her soft, flat stomach, then sank into her darkened belly button. All I knew was I wasn't leaving no more. My legs weren't moving. Swiftly, she untied her wraparound denim skirt. There were no panties on that pussy, just a bush of sandy blonde hair. 
the teacher began instructing the model on how to pose properly. As the model tried to get herself into a position that pleased the teacher, she turned slowly, showing everyone her bare back and butt. She bent over, the crease in her behind widened some. Then she kneeled and eventually squatted, cocking her legs open, a slight scent escaping and awakening my always precise sense of smell. The students, eight males and ten females, whose backs were all to me, faced their easels and the model. Nobody was saying nothing. They took her nudeness like, for them, it was an everyday thing. Now the teacher was back on my case. You're welcome to stay, she said to me sarcastically with a sly smile and her arms folded across her chest. The students turned toward my direction and began laughing once again. Akimi, with her brush in her hand, just watched me closely with no judgment, simply observing my every move and maybe trying to read my thoughts. The intensity of her eyes unfroze my feet. Swiftly, I left. In the cold breeze, I broke out in a hot sweat. This was the first time I ever saw a completely naked woman up close and in real life, in all of her details. There was no doubt that I felt what I saw. I started thinking crazy thoughts like, how come a girl can have straight hair on her head and nappy hair on her pussy, or red hair on her head, and a blonde bush between her thighs. And if this is how good a white girl looked naked, with a small, soft-looking white behind, then what did the black females, whose hips were wider, breasts more juicy, asses more bigger, look like, fully exposed? I kept seeing images of the gap between the girl's legs when I looked at her from the back. Every time I thought about it, I would never see the model's face, or even remember what her face looked like, or the shape of her nose, or the color of her eyes. I just kept seeing her body parts, one by one, like a slideshow in my mind. Before the dojo, I dipped into the arcade. I played a few games of Street Fighter to try to get my mind back in the right position. There was no way I would be able to concentrate otherwise. The whole scene back there reminded me of something Uma once said concerning why me and Naja were not allowed to have a television in our Brooklyn apartment. She said, no outsiders should control what my children see. Once you show a child certain things, you can never snatch that image back. I remember thinking that she was being too strict. Now I at least understood what she meant. Luckily, when I was 13, after the fast of Ramadan, she brought me a television as a present during the Id. She said, there is nothing in this box that isn't happening right in front of you on these streets. You are becoming a man now. I have to believe that your father and I have raised you to separate yourself from evil. Naja, on the other hand, was still not allowed to watch. She was only five then. Your sandwiches in the bag, Amir said, handing me what I knew was my joint. I put it in my gym bag and locked it in a locker in the dojo. After our training, me, Chris, and Amir hooked up. As we chilled in the back of the dojo, Sensei rolled up and asked me to step inside his office. Chris and Amir looked surprised. Sensei had never singled one of us out before. If one of us fucked up, we were all expected to hear about it. 
It's your time now. I know you are ready, Sensei said calmly. He was standing behind his desk. His seven words hung one beneath the other, mounted on the wall behind him. His deadly hands and knuckles gripped the edge of his desk. I wasn't sure what he was getting at. I knew not to interrupt whatever it was he had to say. Your weapons training will begin next week, he continued, searching for my reaction. Domo, arigato, kosamisu, sensei. I responded in my very limited Japanese, thanking him very much in the respectful way that we were taught to speak to an elder, teacher, and master. I was showing no emotion, but was very excited inside. Learning the Asian-styled weapons is what had drawn me here in the first place, but Sensei's stringent standards and expectations were high and had kept him from teaching us weapons for the past seven long years. I felt good that he thought we were now prepared. We had all trained so hard. Over the years, me and Amir had never missed a practice. Chris missed practice every now and then because his father is a reverend who sometimes made demands on Chris's time. Just you, Sensei said as if he could read my thoughts. My other two students are not ready yet. His words hit me hard. I stood still, weighing Sensei's words in my mind. Chris is still a follower. Amir is a strong fighter, but he has a lot of work to do on his discipline, Sensei judged. I thought about how, in all of these years, us three never allowed anyone to say anything fucked up about each other without a fight. I was trying to accept that this conversation and criticism of my two best friends was not meant to be an attack on them that required my loyalty or my foot to the face or head of the man who was my teacher. Sensei and I had a few rough times like this before. Sometimes we disagreed. When I first joined up, he taught us how the Japanese bow as a matter of respect, but I did not bow. It is against my beliefs. For the first two years, Sensei was bitter and sore because he felt I was being arrogant and stubborn. Four more years later, he realized that I had no personal disrespect toward him or his culture, but I had loyalty to my beliefs and the lessons of my father. When you were a very young man the first time you walked in here, you asked to see my sword. What did I tell you then, Sensei asked? Remembering clearly, I answered, You said that a sword is not something you can just see and hold or play with. You said the sword was an extension of a fighter's spirit. You said that when you draw your sword, it must be used. You said that every man must think before he draws his weapon. To draw it is to decide on death. Very good, Sensei said. And for this reason, I have chosen to train you in weapons. I have watched you. You retain information that others forget. You have developed very nicely. I know that you have become a great fighter and independent thinker. I know that you are not a predator, 
and will not abuse the knowledge that I will offer to you. You now show the discipline, the focus, and have the mind to become a great defender and protector of life. After a long pause in which Sensei sat down and began looking at one of the many papers on his desk, he said to me, without looking into my eyes, you do not have to decide anything here tonight. If you want to train in weapons, come next week on Tuesday at 12 noon. Your friends will be in school. Hopefully, you will be here with me one-on-one. Hi, arigato, kosamisu, sensei. I responded even more respectfully. Outside, curiosity kept Chris and Amir waiting on me. What happened? What did Sensei say? Chris asked. Amir waited intensely. Sensei said he he is ready to train me in weapons. I admitted solemnly and truthfully. There was just silence. I knew they felt tight about it. Don't worry. Whatever I learn, I'll teach it to you. You know how we do, I promised. Whatever, funny how he picked you for the weapons class. You already walk with your heat. What could be better than that, Chris asked, still feeling cheated. Nah, don't sleep, Amir said in a serious tone. Sensei knows a thousand different ways to kill a man. You never know when you might have to defend yourself using more than your hands and feet and can't get to your peace. We stood there thinking about what Amir just said. Fuck it. We trust you. You're on our team, right? Amir patted me on the back and laughed. Chris's tension broke up. I looked at the two of them. I was grateful to have two friends in this foreign country. I thought of how my father's American friend and former roommate had left us, stranded at the airport. I hoped that what we three had was something completely different. 10 o'clock that same night, back on my Brooklyn block, The guns was clapping. I moved swiftly to my building, dodging and avoiding, imagining my mother and sister ducked down on the floor the way I taught them to do when they hear gunshots. I was certain that my mother had the blinds closed and curtains drawn by this hour. Hopefully, she had on some music and couldn't hear the symphony of bullets. My heart raced as my mind conjured up the image of a stray bullet piercing the innocence and beauty of my Uma or my young sister Naja. I got home and showed my face and my love so they could sleep. Two and a half hours later, I was out on the ball court for self in the thick of the night. This time, I saw him coming. I kept my eye on him as I dribbled. You fronted. It was Tyreek disturbing my peace. I didn't promise you nothing, I answered. You could at least came to check it out, he pushed. It's your thing. Have fun with it, I told him. This is your idea of fun? Playing by yourself? Wasting your skills? You talk like you're offering me something more than a game, I told him. Maybe I am, but you gotta step it up first. Friday night, 8 p.m. We'll be at the gym again, he said. Friday afternoon, my mind was on finishing up at Cho's. After getting fresh, I planned to walk four stores over on this same block to Akimi's job to try to meet her people, introduce myself, and acknowledge my friendship with Akimi. I was uncertain about their beliefs and traditions. When I stepped outside Cho's store, Amir and Redbone was standing right there. 
I was tight about Amir bringing her to another place I considered a permanent spot. At the same time, I figured if he showed up here at my job, which he'd only done once before, there must be some kind of emergency. I kept myself open to hear him out and help out however I could. What's up, man? I asked him. Hello, how you doing? She answered instead of him. I don't know about tonight, Amir said. We was thinking about going to the movies instead of hooping. Chris, too? I asked, since we all were supposed to meet up at the dojo on Friday nights, as usual, to hustle up a game in the nearby park. Yeah, we're going to go pick Chris and his girl up and head out. What you doing up on this side, I asked him, wondering why he was in Manhattan at 3 on a Friday afternoon when he attended Brooklyn Tech High School in Brooklyn. I took the day off. Been hanging out up here with her, Amir said with a gleam in his eye. I was planning to head over to that high school with you and Chris tonight at 8. I found out there might be some business to make it worth our while in the basketball tournament they're having over there, I said to Amir, knowing how serious he was about handling business. I purposely left out the name of the high school so Redbone wouldn't end up showing up there too. Fuck it then, we can meet up over there for basketball. Afterward, we can hit up the late show on 40 Deuce and meet up with the girls. How'd that sound? He asked, pressing me to agree. But now, I was looking over his shoulder at Akini, who was walking up the block to see me. Redbone, who was constantly staring into my mug, turned around to see what I was looking at. Sounds good, I told Amir, agreeing and hoping him and his girl would step off before Akimi stepped up and they got even deeper into my business. But the two of them didn't move. So we can invite homegirl, right? She really want to see you anyway, Amir smiled. Akimi arrived. She stopped walking and stood about 10 feet away from where we were talking. Despite the normal New York crowds, Redbone was picking up on Akimi's presence. Her eyeballs kept shifting from Akimi to me and back. I didn't acknowledge nothing either way. I wanted her and Amir to leave. Yeah, no problem. Quickly, I agreed to the homegirl situation to get them out of there. All right, then. Tonight at the high school, I'll let Chris know, Amir said. They bounced. I watched them disappear around the corner. Redbone turned to look back as they turned the bend. Akimi had a new haircut. It was now not as long as it usually was, but still more long than short. It was an Egyptian blunt cut with bangs running straight across her forehead and the rest of every strand of her hair cut straight and lying on her back. It looked beautiful and set up her eyes in a whole new way. She had on brown tights that covered her legs, a short brown crushed leather jumper dress with a blouse beneath and gorgeous leather heels with a strap that wrapped around each ankle. The feeling of knowing that she was dressing up for me felt good. The idea that anyone passing by could look at her also didn't. As I approached her, her pretty face went sour. She threw up her hand like she was saying stop. She turned to leave, took a few steps, turned back facing me, and threw up her hands again as if to say, wait right there. It was bugged out, but I waited. 
She came back up the block with a little girl around my sister's age or a little younger. I'm thinking, what's up with this? The little girl skipped up to me, struck a mean pose, one arm folded onto the other like me and her were enemies. Akimi spoke some Japanese words to the little girl, pushing out each syllable with more passion than usual. The angry little Asian girl, now facing me, translated Akimi's fury. You didn't introduce me to your friends, the little girl said. I looked at her, then at Akimi. Akimi's big, big, pretty eyes curved and then shrank with anger. I paused for a minute and answered, You didn't even introduce me to your parents, I told her. The little girl translated. Akimi responded to her. My parents are in Japan. Your friends were standing right here between the two of us, the little girl said with even more attitude than Akimi. Your aunt and uncle and your store are four doors down. You never once invited me inside, I told her. The little girl translated. That's different. You and I are young. We have our world. They have their world, the little girl, now with one hand on her hip, said on behalf of Akimi. So what do you want? Do you want to keep our worlds separate? Or do you want to come all the way into mine and me into yours? I asked. The little girl's eyes widened a bit. She seemed surprised by what I was saying. Believe it or not, I was surprised too. When she translated my words to Akimi, there was a long pause, so I spoke and said, You can't have it both ways, I told her. On hearing this translated, Akimi's anger softened. She looked at me, her eyes watery again, the kind of tears that don't fall. Softly now, she spoke. The little girl interpreted more calmly. How about tomorrow at closing? You can come by my family's shop and meet everyone. Then maybe you and I can go out together once more, the little girl asked in a more relaxed tone. Hi, Ashita. I said, which means, yes, tomorrow in Japanese. Akimi bowed, just a slight movement of her head. They both smiled. Akimi grabbed the little girl's hand and they both left. Believe me, I wanted to follow Akimi, her legs moving rhythmically, heels clicking on the pavement. I pushed off to Brooklyn though. I had to pick up Uma by five and my little sister also. After a hot shower and a family prayer, a delicious meal of Uma's fish seasoned with a Sudanese hot sauce called shada, soup, vegetables, salad, and fresh, hot, homemade bread felt good in my stomach. Afterward, she served some strong hot tea spiced perfectly with ginger and cardamom in a porcelain teacup. It raced around my body, warmed my blood, and gave me a complete and settled feeling. When I left, Uma was just sitting down to her sewing machine. My sister Naja was reading her book out loud like she tended to do. Dressed in my dark blue Nike sweats, wearing a blue Jansport and a crisp pair of kicks, my hands gripping my basketball, I stepped into the dim hallway of my building and headed out to do one quick Uma Designs hat delivery. And then over to the gym. <laughs>